Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week UBS publishes a fascinating comprehensive and hugely in-depth guide for philanthropists and changemakers concerned with improving health for all, in line with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal number 3 on good health and well-being. The report, published this week, is headlined The Picture of Health. And I am delighted to say we have two very special guests on the programme to frame the subject for us and to set the scene. Joining me today to discuss the new report and some of its findings and recommendations are both Phyllis Kurlander-Costanza, the Head of Social Impact and the CEO of the Optimus Foundation at UBS, and alongside her, Jenny Schechter, co-founder and CEO of Integrate Health, a pioneer in innovative and integrated solutions in the space, which is featured as one case study in the report. It's a pleasure to welcome them both to tell us more. Phyllis Costanza, Jenny Schechter, it's fantastic to have you both with us today. And I'd like to start with something that may almost seem like a rather obvious question. And despite that, I'm going to ask you in any case. And Phyllis, I'll throw it to you first of all. Why is it so important that we take action to improve uh, health systems? It's front and centre today, but just kind of give us the, the underpinning, the foundation of why this remains so critically important. Well, I think we we first really noticed this during 2014 when we had the Ebola crisis in West Africa. And, you know, I can remember so vividly hearing that somebody flew from Liberia or one of the affected countries to the UK, and then somebody came to the US and and they got Ebola, they were hospitalized, and, and Americans and Brits and, you know, wherever this happened, people started to pay attention. Wait a minute, the healthcare in Africa affects my healthcare. And nothing has underscored that more than this pandemic we're living through that, you know, a healthcare crisis anywhere is a healthcare crisis everywhere. And, you know, this pandemic has revealed how interconnected this healthcare system is, and how and how similar our basic healthcare our needs are globally and what we need to do to build strong, responsive and resilient healthcare systems. So a really well-functioning healthcare system does more than just address one disease or healthcare issue, but it's there to really underpin everything, every issue that we experience in healthcare. And we know that everywhere in the world, in order for us to be healthy globally, we need to address um, issues around improving access to healthcare, improving the quality of healthcare, equity and efficiency. And we see this in the United States, in the UK, as well as in Togo and Liberia. So we need to do this now so that we're prepared to address the next pandemic. And there will be, sadly, a next pandemic. Well, yeah. And to that point, Phyllis, you know, you paint a picture there where the challenge is very urgent, but it's also vast and complex in its scale. uh, And of course, in, in terms of the solutions that are required, Given that then, given the the, the, the the sort of scale of the issue before us, how does one start? And I know that in the guide, which we're kind of putting front and centre today, uh, you and your colleagues talk about these kind of three key pillars that sort of drive meaningful action. Can you tell us a bit about why it's so important to break it down in that way and a little bit more about what some of these pillars are? The three pillars really are, number one, understanding the issue. 
Number two, identifying and supporting real solutions that deliver. And the third is taking action. So the first in understanding the issue is to understand the context in which we want to work. Let me give you an example. I have um, traveled to Sub-Saharan Africa uh, many times and I cannot tell you the amount of times I've been driving along a road and all of a sudden you see this big, beautiful hospital and you go in there and it's completely empty. It has all the right equipment. It has sanitation equipment, it has electricity, it has running water, you know, which are not a given in most healthcare facilities, especially in rural areas. But to understand what's really needed, it's not a big, beautiful, huge hospital in the middle of nowhere that people can't access. Another thing I see is, I'll never forget on a trip to Ghana, we were looking at a hospital or medical facility, and in the back, it was a graveyard of donated equipment that nobody knew how to use or repair. I mean, everything from ambulances to x-ray machines to lab equipment, just all sitting outside exposed to the elements not used at all. So understanding the issues is number one. And then the second is identifying and supporting real solutions that deliver. So really focusing on what do the people in the community need and how can we take a systems view? So that means looking holistically at the healthcare system and not focusing specifically on one disease. So, you know, another example there is, um, you know, I met with people who recently established a fistula hospital only to treat fistula. Now, fistula is a devastating disease for women. However, it would have been a much more effective solution to train physicians in the existing clinics on how to address the issue, but not to set up a parallel healthcare system that just addresses one disease. That's not taking a systems look at it. And the systems look also looks at, you know, what does it take to be successful? What are we going to look at for the evidence of impact? And it has to be something like reduction in, uh, in disease or access to surgery. 17 million people die every single year for lack of access to safe surgery. And so how can we help build the systems to enable people to have access to that? And the third issue is taking action. So, you know, in the words of Nike, just do it. And I would say the most important thing in taking action is collaborating with others. If you want to make change, even the wealthiest individuals can't do it on their own. They need to work with others. And there's so many great ideas. And the problem is that we're not scaling them. So we need to collaborate with others so that we can take action on the most impactful areas. Well, we're going to talk a bit more about uh, how health does underpin everything and indeed about how you go about calibrating global health in a second. But Jenny, just to bring you in here on some of these very fundamental points about understanding, about scalable and deliverable solutions and meaningful action. It's, it's worth underscoring right up top, isn't it, that your focus is very much on, well, it's, it's very patient focused on patient focused care. And I guess that is something that is is worth underscoring before we talk about anything else, isn't it, right? That, that very fundamental priority. Absolutely. All health systems must be patient-focused, and that is true anywhere, in any context, in any country around the world. I would love to share an example from Togo that really illustrates this and also underscores the role that trust plays in building a patient-centered healthcare system. We have a patient, a young woman named Pialo, who lives in rural northern Togo. 
And when the first cases of COVID were detected in Togo, Piala was pregnant. And she immediately thought to herself, I guess I will give birth at home now. She was hearing all sorts of scary rumors about COVID. She was hearing that the health centers were unsafe and that if she went, she would contract COVID. And so she was making a very logical decision. Fortunately, Piala was also supported by her local community health worker. And when her community health worker came on the next home visit, she was able to listen to Piala and she was able to respond to Piala's concerns with accurate information. And so the community health worker explained all of the infection prevention control measures that had been put in place at the health center, the mask wearing, face shields and gloves, the triage tents that were being used to isolate suspected cases before they could come into contact with other patients at the health center. And of course, the community health worker herself was also wearing personal protective equipment to be safe and to protect Pialo. So when Pialo went into labor, she did decide to go to the health center. And it was so important that she did because Pialo ended up having complications during her delivery. And she was evacuated to the hospital in the nearby city where she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. Pialo's story shows us that patient-centered care is just that. It is meeting the patient's needs at every step along their journey. And that what looked like, to Phyllis's point, an effective hospital-based intervention actually started way back months prior in the community, in the patient's home, where she was listened to by her community health worker who she trusted. So these investments in strong patient-centered primary care systems are really paying dividends, especially now, especially during the pandemic that, that we are still in the midst of. And I think this is a really important point, isn't it, about that focus on the patient and also on community health more broadly. And, and Phyllis, if I can bring you back in here, it is instructive, isn't it, to listen to stories that, like the one that Jenny's just shared, but also to reflect on how many of the other SDGs, for example, uh, we, we know what these goals represent, but how many of them are underpinned very fundamentally by by good health? There's these lots of quotes, aren't there? The, the Ralph Waldo Emerson quote about the first wealth being health. Do you find actually in conversations with uh, clients and other people in this space that there are some sort of almost misunderstandings about how best to address these problems and where to direct re- resources? Does that uh, story that, that Jenny mentioned there, that must resonate with you, presumably? Oh, absolutely. And Pialo's story that Jenny just explained to us is is an example of how important this is. If Piala hadn't gotten to that healthcare facility, she may not have delivered a healthy baby. And frankly, if she didn't deliver a healthy baby, then the education of that child would be secondary to health of that child. And education, which is SDG number four, and healthcare are critically linked. Uh, But, you know, think about it in your own life. When you're sick, you can't do anything. If you're really sick, children who are undernourished actually may physically sit in the classroom, but they can't listen, they can't pay attention, and they absolutely cannot learn. You know, I love the quote that you gave by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's so true. The first wealth is health, and that's important for a wealth management firm to remember. And, um, you know, when we talk with our clients, healthcare is one of the most important issues that they talk about. So if we look also at the link between healthcare and education, we ask our clients all the time, you know, what would you like to do? 
in education? You know, what do you think is, are the most impactful areas to improve the quality of education? And the answers are always the same. I want to build a school. I think we should train teachers. We should get school equipment, books, etc. But unless children are healthy, none of those things matter. And there was a, a very well-known randomized control trial that tested what had the greatest impact on improving learning outcomes for children. And it turned out that giving deworming pills for children actually improved educational outcomes almost 10 times as much and at a tenth of the cost of other more traditional education interventions. So you can see how that is, you know, the two are directly linked. And because of that, hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into deworming programs that are actually improving the quality of education. And, you know, if we think about improved education is also then correlated with a variety of lifelong improved health outcomes. So these two things, healthcare and education, really influence each other. So um, you look at girls, for instance, who are well-educated, they tend to be healthier, they delay marriage, they delay childbirth, and delaying childbirth is really important for health of the mother and the child. And the same applies to other SDGs, life below water, climate action, you know, healthy environment is directly correlated to human health. Polluted air, land, and water are correlated with a decrease in well-being for people around the globe. So climate change is also directly linked to health. So I would say that healthcare is probably one of the most critical SDGs to get right because of its correlation with the others. And I think all of these correlations are, are fascinating. And you've both already, just in the short time that we've been been talking, already shone such a light on how both understanding and a grasp of the solutions. And this really lays a focus on meaningful impact and actions that can be taken, how they all interlink to best serve the communities that most need them. Maybe I get you both to reflect on, on exactly that, that point, because presumably, and Phyllis, I'll come to you first of all, you know, clients want to know how to be most strategic about their philanthropy, about their investments and about their whole approach to this area. Can you just speak to us about how this this idea of all of these complex thematics, you know, understanding the overlay, how they all interconnect is so important? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I mentioned, our philanthropists and clients are really engaged right now in healthcare, and it's one of the critical areas. Uh, healthcare and education are probably the most important areas in for our clients to give philanthropically. And we've already raised from our clients more than a billion dollars in investments to, to do things like fight cancer and other diseases. And we know that in 2017 and 18, the top 100 private foundations and grant makers spent about $46 billion on health, which is almost a quarter of all of private giving. And what's important for these clients is really to connect with like-minded people and forge alliances. There are so many kindred souls out there who are interested in working in different aspects of healthcare that they should be working together on these issues. And that's probably the most strategic thing that people can do is number one, collaborate, work with others, 
number two is um, identify what is really going to underpin the healthcare system and help to build the capacity. Maybe it is training healthcare workers. Maybe it is ensuring that there's proper equipment, but really understanding the needs of the local community and working with government to do that. So for example, the Ethiopian government has a really robust plan to improve the quality of their healthcare system. And we're working with them to make sure that whatever we're giving into that country is aligned with the government plan because the only way for this thing to be scalable is if the government takes it over in the end. I mean, healthcare in many places is a government responsibility. And so aligning with government priorities is also a really important strategic priority for philanthropists. Well, Jenny, let me throw this over to you because I would imagine that collaboration, this emphasis on truly scalable solutions, uh, that must resonate with you. Do you have a kind of, yeah, I don't know, a a hit list of critical things to bear in mind in this space when when you ask or are asked that kind of question? Yeah, I would add to Phyllis's point, you know, one of my top tips is don't reinvent the wheel. We don't need new innovations to save lives. We need to scale proven solutions. And as Phyllis mentioned, we do that in partnership. In our work in Togo, we work very closely in partnership with the Ministry of Health. Together, we have scaled to serve over 200,000 patients. And in our work, we've observed over a five-year period, a 30% reduction in the under five mortality rate. And that was achieved at a cost of less than $10 per capita. So For philanthropic investors, this is really a best bet. It's just an incredible opportunity to buy impact. And in doing that, in investing in strong, integrated community health systems, we're improving not just health, but we are seeing ripple effects across gender equity, across societies. And that is a really incredible opportunity that we have to scale innovations through through partnership to scale proven solutions by listening to communities, working with governments, working together. Yeah, and you mentioned your work in in Togo and elsewhere uh, there, Jenny, and I'd like to just ask you a bit more about the sort of the integrated health model, actually. I know you have a very uh, considered and specific approach. Could you just give us a bit of a sense of how you direct the resources and the skills at your disposal to address some of these themes? We start first with the idea that we have to meet patients where they are. And so that might be in a health center, but it might be at home or in their community. And to do that, we have designed an approach that seamlessly integrates healthcare delivery across the community and the clinic. And so we start with women recruited from their local communities who are paid, trained, equipped, and supervised to work as community health workers. And they provide care, high quality care to their neighbors. They can also refer patients to a health center when advanced care is needed. And then at the health center, we make sure that there are mentors who provide coaching to nurses and midwives, that there are systems to ensure that essential medicines and supplies are on the shelves where and when they need to be. And that point of care fees are removed so that patients don't have financial barriers to accessing care. When we implement these interventions together as an integrated package, it leads to really incredible results. And we actually began our work in HIV, responding to that epidemic in the early 2000s. And we're able to build and scale one of the 
what became one of the most effective HIV care programs in Togo, but we very quickly learned that that HIV care delivery needed to be integrated into a strong primary care system so that any patient, any mother, child, community member could come to the same health center, be served by the same community health workers, and get the quality care that they need. Phyllis, can you just give us more of a sense about scale? Because presumably one of the most thrilling things about the work you do day to day and the conversations you have with clients, many of whom have serious resources to throw at these issues, is the fact that you can track a real meaningful difference. That must be what gives you, kind of gets you out of bed in the morning, right? Having this ability to really move the needle on some issues that are of critical importance wherever we are in the world. Absolutely. And I also want to go back to a point, a really important point that Jenny made about people wanting to fund the shiny new objects when the real challenge is finding things that work already and trying to scale them. And I'll just give you one example of how how this manifests itself. I mean, I get calls all the time from people saying, oh, I've got this new idea and it's going to revolutionize healthcare in Africa or Southeast Asia or wherever it may be. And recently a client came to me and said, you know, we've got a really big problem with healthcare facilities in India. They, you know, I was, I was in India recently and I looked out and I walked to a healthcare system and outside there was all this debris and medical waste and children were sitting in it. And it was, it's a disgrace. So I have a solution. I have created biodegradable supplies. Well, you know, great idea. Yes, biodegradable supplies really, I can say that, yeah, that's clever. However, that is not the solution to medical debris outside of a hospital. You know, a simple garbage can will solve that problem, but biodegradable supplies is not the solution to that problem. And we tend to get attracted by these shiny things because they are cool and innovative, but simple things work. And I think the most important aspect of scale is this concept of partnership. And we've seen this with, um, you know, with Integrate Health. They've been partnering with the Ministry of Health in Togo, and the government has demonstrated really strong political will and have included universal health coverage in its 2025 healthcare roadmap. And that's really the only way to ensure that we get primary healthcare delivery for all Togolese. And this is true in every single country in which we work. We started funding an organization called Last Mile Health, for instance, who's working in Liberia to bring healthcare to some of the most underserved communities. And they conducted an evaluation that demonstrated they could improve the quality of healthcare at a really low cost while having all of these other benefits like um, empowering women who were delivering healthcare in these communities. And um, this was very enticing for the government and Last Mile House was working closely with the government. So they have they are scaling it up to the entire country, working also in collaboration with the World Bank. So you always have to look for those with deeper pockets and make sure that you're coordinating with them at the outset to ensure scale. Well, well, yeah. And Jenny, let me bounce that back to you then. Uh, And Phyllis paints such an important sort of picture there, gives such a good sense of this critical import of cooperation with all the stakeholders from wherever they are geographically and by sector, getting this buy-in from them, having adequate resources, but building on this very fundamental foundation of, of community. Despite the scale of the challenges that you've both outlined already, Jenny, do you remain optimistic? Do you see 
enough innovation, enough eagerness, willingness to take on some of these big problems that despite how much volatility and uncertainty there is in the world, that you're optimistic about things? I'm kind of hoping you're going to say yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, as counterintuitive as it might sound to say this during a global pandemic, I have never been more optimistic about the future of healthcare. I think the pandemic is underscoring just how important investments in strong primary healthcare systems are. And as Phyllis described, we are seeing the government of Togo respond to the need and the opportunity in this moment and really doubling down on their commitment to achieving universal health coverage. And the work that we have done together with the Ministry of Health, which has now been scaled to over 200,000 people across Northern Togo, is being used as a learning opportunity to inform the government's national policies, national health financing plans, the conversations that they're having with other partners, and is helping them to figure out how to achieve their goals of achieving universal health coverage. So I am very optimistic. I am honored to work alongside our partners in the community and in the government as they work to achieve these very, very critical goals. Jenny Schechter, co-founder and CEO of Integrate Health, And before that, Phyllis Kurlander-Costanzo, the head of Social Impact and the CEO of the Optimus Foundation at UBS. Thanks to them both. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. You can discover more about the Picture of Health report published this week by heading to ubs.com. And you can listen again and find out more about this show at monocle.com or wherever you find your audio. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.